Hey y'all, welcome to But Now We Said It, where we know new episodes of Housewives are great and all, but nothing beats an old episode of Housewives. Today, we are going all the way back to the golden years of Housewives. Everyone likes to say 2010 was prime Housewives years, and it truly was. I mean, some of the best seasons of Housewives were premiering in that era. That was like your season one, Beverly Hills. We had Teresa had just flipped a table in season two of New Jersey. And one franchise that I feel is sort of the black sheep of the Housewives that doesn't get the attention it deserves is our Real Housewives of DC. One thing that I loved about Real Housewives of DC and why I say that it was ahead of its time is that season we had an interracial cast We had a gay male who was a friend of that essentially you would almost say that he was a housewife. He had his own confessionals. He was very much in the mix with the women. We had discussions about racism. We had gay rights being discussed. That's the height of gay marriage being talked about as far as being legalized. There was so many things that they were talking about and had these hard discussions on camera. And this was 10 years ago. And it just reminded me last year in 2020 when we were going through a lot of hard things and a lot of hard conversations that needed to happen, it's crazy to think that they were having some of these conversations 10 years prior. And that's why I'm saying I think this franchise deserves our respect. And I wish more people could see it and hear more about it. I hosted a reunion interview with DC cast members, Mary Schmidt Amons, Linda Urkelishan, and Paul Wharton. So I started by asking Mary, Linda, and Paul about what they've been up to since the show ended. And don't worry, of course we talked about today's spotlight moment, the infamous White House crashing by Mikhail and Tarek Salahi. Stay tuned. Oh, an obligatory legal disclaimer, Tarek Salahi has previously denied in court documents the allegations made throughout this interview, and Mikhail has made no public statement. So Mary, what have you been up to for the past... 10 years. Yeah, well, a lot can happen in, t- in 10 years. Um, and it, it was pretty surreal watching myself um, when they reran the show and where I was in my life, where I was in my marriage, how old my children were at the time. Um, it was bittersweet because I miss them. I miss my kids under my own roof. Um, I miss packing their lunches and putting hearts on their lunch sacks. and. Um, and all the issues that come along with raising teenagers that I was doing at that time. Uh, it was really surreal for me to watch it. And um, a lot was going through my mind about all of the things that have transpired. And so since then, of course, everyone knows that I got divorced. And that was kind of on the down low in the works at the time. And I've been very vocal about that um, and honest that that, that was already kind of moving and in process. I just didn't want it to be a big, huge issue that first season and um, just kind of introduce myself and my family authentically, but also not make that a big part of, you know, my storylines. But since then, so I've gotten divorced. I have, um, I launched my interior design firm. So I've been having a lot of fun designing and decorating spaces for friends and colleagues and clients. I moved to Texas. Yeah, so I've been splitting my time uh, between Dallas. I have a fabulous love that lives there. And since, since we've been quarantined and since COVID, I've been here at our family farm in Southern Maryland, um, just 
focusing on uh, my family and my parents that are um, getting older and also garnering up some business here in DC and I have a great project that I'm working on here in Virginia. Um, I have a great client. Um, so I'm just, you know, I'm kind of in a transition at the moment and uh, I feel like I've grown up in the reverse a bit. You know, I had my family at 19 and had a lot of responsibility at a very young age and just kind of started playing house. I'd say one of the things that has happened since I was on Real Housewives is that I've really kind of figured out my purpose and who I am as a woman um, because I think a lot of my identity was wrapped up in nurturing children and raising a family. But it's really good to be back in D.C., um, with my family. My family is just an amazing group of people. I'm the oldest of seven and uh, everyone's doing well. Thank God. Everyone's healthy, staying healthy. Well, Steve, 10 years has been a long 10 years for me. Um, in the beginning, you know, we had no idea that it was going to be one season. So we kind of, or at least I positioned myself for what would I introduce in the second season that I was purposely leaving out in the first. And part of it was that I'm an executive director to the James and Paula Coburn Foundation. And because I didn't want to taint their reputation, I kept that completely out of my story. Um, so... Like for me, I had the artist agency. The artist agency is in its 35th year. We're still going strong with the exception of the COVID-19 interference. And just the beginning of June started to book models again and stylists, but with all new protocol and procedures to keep everyone safe. So, you know, really after the first season was canceled, I just picked up where I left off, which was to continue um, working with the JPCF and working with THE. Unfortunately, my mother was diagnosed with cancer right after the show ended, and she passed away a couple of years ago, but I had her actually come and live with me in Virginia when I moved. She came to live with me, and it was, you know, I kept saying to myself, thank God we didn't get a second season because I was really able to give my mom so much of my time and energy. And I think that Paul and Mary or anybody who's ever been a part of the Real Housewives know that four to five days a week, you're given, you know, you're giving your energy away. You're, you're putting forth your life. You're putting forth, you know, all kinds of of um, energy for that. So to be able to be with my mom at that time in her life and my life was very special. You know, I, my kids are all grown. They're all almost entirely married. Like I have two weddings next summer because my daughter's wedding this July had to be postponed. And, you know, and I'm a grandmother. I have my 18-month-old grandson arrives today. So all my family are healthy and happy and that we have an escape place in upstate New York, which is, you know, hidden away in rolling hills and nature. And, you know, being here is like being in quarantine because there really aren't people around. <laughs> but, yeah, so I'm, 
I'm very happy with, with how things, I guess, evolved. How about you, Paul? Well, <laughs> I got to tell you, Steve, first of all, thank you for having us on. <laughs> Any opportunity to see these fabulous women and spend time, although I talk to Linda a lot. <laughs> and, and Mary and I see each other every now and again, and I just love, I really do love them both. Um, so interesting watching that show 10 years ago. It's so interesting looking back and seeing that you were being as authentic as you knew how to be in that moment. But as the years go by, I've learned that the more authentic I really became, the more I got to know myself, the more kind of successful I became. Not, I'm not talking about money, I'm talking about just me feeling like I was living with purpose. And just looking back on my big birthday party there, I thought, who are all these people? But as I was looking at them, they were really my friends. I used to try to keep that many friends around. Can you imagine? <laughs> Like, you know, where's the energy you put into yourself? So mm -hmm. I think for me, 10 years has shown me that um, everyone doesn't have to like me. I don't have to like them. Um, that, you know, you find your tribe and you cultivate that and you pour love and energy and thoughtfulness and compassion and you get it back. And, and you know, when you find it, it feels like home. And I think that's where I am. I think like a lot of the ladies, I thought in season two, I, would, I was gonna be the original Bethany Frankel, okay? <laughs> I, got, I have my juice here. Yes! I got candles, <laughs> I got skincare. So all that that get judged and paulwhartonstyle.com. But you know, yes. in, in my heart, I'm a business person. Like mm -hmm. I never wanted to work for anybody else. And, and given the right opportunity and enough focus, uh, I don't really have to. <laughs> you know, that's that? amazing. Yeah. So I was able to, to write a book to get my book published. Um, it was funny before the housewives, I was doing television. I did made on MTV and I was the makeover guy on Ricky Lake. And I did a show <laughs> on VH1 called the agency and something on uh, TV land called she's got the look, but I got an opportunity to do queer eye for the straight girl. It was, it was maybe in like 2005, they did a spinoff of Queer Eye for the Straight, I don't remember the year, but it's somewhere in that neighborhood. Uh -huh. Queer Eye for the Straight guy did a spinoff. And so they offered me a contract, Steve. I went out to LA. Uh, we were on set with the people that I was gonna be working with. And the first thing they told me is they said, well, you need to make this woman cry so we can break her down and then build her back up stronger. And I said, well, <laughs> why does she need to cry to do all that? Like, you know, I'm not down yeah. for that. So. I decided I was going to put my foot down. I, this woman has been through too much. I am not making her cry. That is not my brand. And I'm going to tell you what we need to do. And we're going to come together. We're going to be strong. They were like, see ya. <laughs> <laughs> so as I was flying back to DC from whence I had come, I was like, okay, if I ever get the opportunity to tell my own story to women, I will do that from a position of, hey, you're starting fabulous. Now let's just judge that up a little bit. And there you go. You never have yes. to get ready to stay ready. So I did yes. that in my book. So I say all that to say this last 10 years has shown me that becoming yourself, becoming your most authentic self sometimes takes a little longer 
than just from season one to season two of a reality show. Sometimes you need a little time away from all of the action to kind of pull it together. And, uh, and I feel like I'm in my stride and I feel like this is kind of the best time of my life. Like I said before, you know, DC, to me, I've always said DC was so ahead of its time and it was such a different franchise from the rest. One of those things being Paul, I think you might've been the very first male friend of the housewives. Like you were, you were, had a contract and everything, right? As a friend. Well, they got a lot out of me. Okay. okay. <laughs> I'll just say this. I'll just say this. They got a lot out of me. Actually, I didn't have a contract. Okay. Um, but they shot at my house and we did, I did the testimonials. I know that they had Dwight in Atlanta. Yes. Um, see, they did have Dwight. I think at that time, no, no friends of the housewives were doing like the testimonials and, and really not just a friend of one of the women. You know, mm-hmm. I, I felt like I was friends with, well, I knew all the women. I think mm-hmm. I, I think, I don't think that they had me as a friend of just one of the women. I don't remember. No, don't you were, under- you were friends with everybody. Yeah. Friends with everybody. So yeah, I mean, you know, I, I guess um, thinking back on it, it was uh, a wonderful opportunity uh, along the way. I think for me as a black gay man, it also showed that you don't just have to do, you know, hair and makeup to be the gay man in the room. Right. You know, nothing's wrong with that because, you know, I love my hair and my yes. makeup people. <laughs> but, you know, that's not really what I did. You know, I'm a content creator. I'm a show producer. Um, at, you know, I have a creative company here. You know, we, we make beautiful things and, and um, interesting content. And so, anyway, I, I like the fact that the show kind of uh, – um, even though at times they called me a celebrity stylist, I'm just like, there they go. Gotta get the gay guy up. He's gotta be a stylist. Makeup artist, hairstylist, stylist. Like, right. that's pretty much what we have. But. I'd like to add to that because um, I, have, uh, I have some thoughts about Paul's involvement in that, I don't know, we would not have had as entertaining and interesting show without Paul. There's no question in my mind. If we hadn't had Paul, we wouldn't have had, he was, he was also behind the scenes, just a little insight. He was behind the scenes coaching us through this. Like we, we all were just jumping into an unknown pool, very vulnerably, innocently, thinking we had all what we needed to do this. Right. But Paul was behind the scenes calling us, meeting with us, like, come on now. You all need to like step it up big time. Yeah. I got to let, let me tell on y'all. Let me tell. I'm telling. I'm Uh-oh. telling. Uh-oh. See, one day these girls talking about, we're going to make a pact that we are never going to talk about each other. We're only going to have each other back. Look, I was over there like this. How us going to eat? How are we supposed to keep the lights on in here if y'all don't talk about each other? <laughs> You need to make a pact of forgiveness. There we go. Yes. Uh, They were, they were really, and I, maybe that's a difference of a DC version versus New York or LA. These women uh, came into it with, um, you know, very strong morals. They weren't going to compromise. And I think the show to me was authentically um, dramatic without being, hateful and without ruining any well 
most of them's lives, but you know, <laughs> she did it herself. <laughs> <laughs> In addition to, you know, like I said, Paul being uh, a main character, like one of the first male main characters, you guys discussed huge topics like gay marriage, race relations, you know, interracial dating, politics. Looking back, do you think people in DC, you included, would be willing to go on a show like this? I mean, I would definitely be willing to go on a show like this, but that's because, again, living your authentic life. I mean, yeah. that wasn't made up. Like, Abong totally. and I were in a real relationship. And the, the whole, you know, it just happened to be the timing of the boat for gay marriage and equal rights. So mm -hmm. it could not have been positioned at a better time than when our show was coming out because this is how we all genuinely feel. Right. This is our genuine, authentic life. So mm -hmm. we were just living that. And I think that because Bravo has such a huge audience, the idea that we were able to speak our truth and to share you know, like when I said my sister's gay, she had a marriage in New York. It wasn't recognized at the time, but it was recognized by our family. It's like, I think that for people who respected us independently of the show, and then they hear our story, which is very different than what they actually get in day-to-day -day business. Like people didn't know me the way that they know me now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, because business is business, our family was very private. And, you know, people say to me, how could you do a reality show and remain private? But we did. And we were able to just share things that were super meaningful, like equal rights and gay rights. And, you know, I honestly didn't even realize that Abong and I were the first interracial couple that was dating. You know, I didn't until somebody pointed that out. So I feel like we definitely had an impact. And I think if the show had continued, that impact would have come, become stronger. I think you would have seen us protesting. I think you would have seen, I mean, we are. We have been protesting. We have been fighting for what matters. And, and you know, that would have given us a platform of millions of people to join in that actually we're fans. Now that gay marriage has been legal for 10 years, you know, I'm finally dating someone that I, well. Give us the tea. Oh, this situation is so right. Well, someone that I finally feel like I could be married to, and there's a part of me that's like, damn, I need to get this marriage on TV. You know, he hasn't even asked yet, but you know, we're, we're planning it. Like, Whoopi's going to marry me. She's going to do the ceremony. And Vanessa Williams is going to sing. Maybe we pitch Andy to bring us back based on that. My there you go. Special. Paul's wedding special. It. I know you didn't know, you didn't know Kat or Stacy prior to the show, correct? Right. Um, I, I knew Stacy. You yeah. knew Stacy. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then Mikhail or Michaela, <laughs> y'all all knew her prior, correct? Yes. And what was your relationship prior to the show with Mikhail? Mary, you want to go first? Mary. <laughs> I'm short and sweet because I really didn't know her, know her. I mm -hmm. just knew of her and, you know, it was hard to not know who she was in our town. 
um, because a lot of what had gone on and transpired and became very public. So real quick, in case you're unfamiliar, when we're talking about the crashing of the White House, this took place on November 24th, 2009. So here's the gist. McKellen Tark Salahi attended the White House state dinner for the Indian prime minister as uninvited guests. They were able to pass through two national security checkpoints. And obviously, that's a pretty big deal, y'all. Basically, all hell broke loose. I mean, they shook Obama's hand. She got a picture with Joe Biden and was looking very comfy with her hand on his chest, which they talked about at the reunion. Not only that, it turns out they also had crashed the Black Caucus dinner event prior. Talk about national security fails. The way I knew her personally was she was working for Trash, Trish McAvoy Cosmetics in our Nordstrom's in the mall back in like the late 90s, early 2000s. And she was my girl. And she, she, she's very talented at that makeup. And she was a really good salesman. She would like greet everybody at the mall entrance of Nordstrom because the Trish McAvoy counter was right there at the beginning. And she would be like, come here, come here. You, I want to do your makeup. You, 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 you. Yeah, I was sold. And she just did a really good job. I so mean, I could see her selling anything to anybody for sure. I mean, she tried to sell it to uh, America, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Real quick, we have to take a break. Do you guys watch any of the other Real Housewives franchises? And are you friends with any other Real Housewives? I mean, I watch Beverly Hills in New York. Mm -hmm. Um, That's about all I have time for. I kind of had to narrow it down. And I love Beverly Hills mainly because, you know, I spend so much time in Los Angeles, but I just really love the way it's produced. I, I enjoy it. I haven't seen all of it this season. I know there's been quite a bit going on and New York is, you know, is a hoot. It's just, it's it's such a, it's such a, I think it does what housewives are supposed to do. It's supposed to take us to a place where we can just laugh at ourselves, you know, and others. I, I don't watch any of it regularly, but I do pay attention to all the storylines and the controversies that are coming out, like Denise and Brandy on Beverly Hills and Sonia's new fabulous facelift. Well, I like Atlanta. Um, yes. And I'm friendly with a lot of those ladies. Friendly, you know? Like, mm-hmm. we have each other's phone numbers and we text a little time to time, you know? Right. Um, but I, I, they're very entertaining. Um, and you know, I was I spent a lot of time in the Hamptons, so I kind of see some of the New York girls. And I was staying in Montauk a couple of weeks ago. And uh, did you see this on my Instagram? I was just weekend? I was just gonna say I saw who you were with. <laughs> yeah. So I, I I had this lovely friend up there, and he he gives me his house when it's off season, but during the summer he's there. And um, yeah, and Kelly came over to visit uh, another friend of hers. Peter Thomas Roth, the skincare guy. Oh, yeah. So he's a real person. Oh, my gosh. He's a real person. (laughs) So so he was saying, but you got to get zhuzh. Yes, zhuzh. (laughs) So he was saying, yeah, yeah, I get zhuzh. He was staying at the house, and then he's like, oh, Kelly wants to come by. And she came by, and we hit it off instantly. Um, And then I I, uh, stopped back through New York City the next day. And she texts me and I said, I'm back. She said, are you back home? I said, I'm in New York City. She says, where? I said, I'm in Soho eating outside. She says, I'm two blocks from there. I'm coming over. 
And then she, we hung out that night and had a fun, fun, fun time. Quick funny story. I ran into Ramona. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I got to hear that. About three or four years ago in Nantucket. And I was with some friends and she was with some friends and it was day drinking, you know, galore. I was bold enough to approach her and just introduced myself and just said, you know, hey, I just wanted to say hi, you know, Nantucket's fabulous, isn't it? You know, just one, you know, we have something in common. We're both, you know, buddies with Andy. Anyway, she, she was like, oh, you're that one are you married? Are you still married? And I was like, no, I'm not. Like, cause she had just, this was right when she was about to get divorced. With Mari, okay. She was having, I think she was having some struggle with that and mm-hmm. how that was gonna transpire on television and Ooh. how she was very hush-hush about it. But then um, there was a whole group of people that were, that were on, big long table like elevated table in the bar and one of the guys it was clearly like a birthday party or something whole table full of fabulous gay guys and one and i think the birthday guy was dressed up as the cat in a hat uh-huh had a full costume and everything so i was right by them and i was taking pictures of them and ramona all of a sudden turns around and she grabs my phone out of my hand. He's like, no, 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 no pictures, no pictures, no pictures of me. Like. <laughs> I like, wish a bitch would. I wish she would. She would be right in Ramona. The with the boats. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think of the Real Housewives of Potomac? And do you know any of the ladies? Well, I knew Robin from TAAPR. That's the ABBA agency. Um, she was working with ABBA at the time. But she was the only person that I actually knew. And I've met all the other girls at different events. But mm-hmm. um, I, really, I really like it. I think it's come a long way from the first season. Like, I think all of the housewives struggle a little bit in the first season, finding their way. Sure. But honestly... I think they've done a really good job at, at taking it to the next level. I know, I know Sharice, but she, is she on the show anymore? Nah. No. And she's popping up this season. The new season starts on Sunday. She'll pop up every once in a while. But. Um, and I know Robin the same way that, that Linda knows her. And I think, Paul, you know them all, right? I do. I actually got Karen on that show. The Grand Dom. I, I love me some Karen. They were looking for people, and I was like, oh my God, you've got to get this woman. And I had sat next to her at Knockout Abuse, mm. and she was, and oh, she was just titties and hair. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, you need a show. <laughs> um, so I introduced her, and it worked. And then, um, and I also knew Katie Rost in the beginning because we were friends, and I, I did introduce her as well to casting. Now, have hers tell it. She might tell some other story. I don't know, but <laughs> I did that. Um, and Monique is a good friend of mine. Me too. Um, yeah, we stay in touch and, and talk quite a bit. And, you know, I used to be very close with Sharice um, mm. for, for many years. And, um, and I know Giselle and all the ladies, I think, and Robin. Mm-hmm. I think they're doing a great job. I think the fact, oh, and Ashley, she's fabulous. 
Yes. Like, I really like all of those ladies. To me, I tell you, one of my business partners is Mona Scott Young, okay? Mm-hmm. Mona Scott Young created Love and Hip Hop. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and, that, and she gets a really, she has a hard way to go sometimes with people because they're like, you're behind making these women fight and this and that. And, you know, hey, she's capturing their lives and these people that wouldn't have had the opportunity to have that kind of platform. She's giving mm-hmm. them a platform. And Cardi B was on the show and she blew totally. up and different people, you know? So mm-hmm. I guess for me, sometimes I feel like as a black woman creator, producer, she has a harder way to go than like an Andy Cohen who is mm-hmm. having, uh, you know, who is the public face of Bravo in terms of being an executive producer. So for me, I don't like when it goes into hysteria for no good reason when mm-hmm. people are fighting each other um throwing drinks on each other threatening each other pulling a knife on each other you know i just i kind of check out mm-hmm. because it feels manufactured and it makes me feel almost as if the people the talent feels that they have to do that in order to be invited back and maybe that's the case mm-hmm. but i don't think that uh i think that as I said about our show a little bit earlier, we had organic drama. We had real dramatic storylines <laughs> without having to smack each other or call each other um, B words. Were there any moments you filmed that didn't make the show that you want us to know about? I think that there was a huge, um, we had already shot the majority of the show when we were going on our Thanksgiving break when the crashing happened. And um, Mary had produced a show with Layla Rose that had our models and it had, you know, all of Layla Rose, beautiful couture clothes. And it was a, just a gorgeous production. And that was completely cut, but that was really sad that we took a shift into the white house crashing and it started dominating the airwaves and, you know, as you well know, it was a shock for all of us but their behavior was not shocking because this was something they had been up to for the majority of the show. So, I mean, that was, that was really disappointing, Mary, not to have you have, you know, really something other than being a mom and talking to the dog. And like, you really had, I think you got gypped out of your real moment because of that. Right. And I really did honestly like jump into this because I wanted to expose my charity to grow it and raise more money for women's and children's causes. I pulled in all these friends to help me and we did it and it went, it went off beautifully and it was all on camera. And you know, it was, I got a call the day before our, our, like basically our last episode was going to air from Bravo saying, unfortunately, we're not, we're cutting your entire event out, which made sense because they didn't weave any of my charity work. So I had a little hunch that, that I was getting on the floor, the cutting room floor. It just was so disappointing because they did let me know that that was the original end point for us for the season was that event. And um, to have, you know, I know that 
production spent a whole lot of time and a whole lot of cost and expense to re-edit the whole show to basically showcase the White House crash. And so, you know, when I stay on, on um, our reunion, they totally hijacked the show. They totally hijacked the show. So going off of that, people want to know, what did you guys know throughout filming on about them? As far as like, did you see how they were manipulating everything? And did you see, did you know all of the extent of everything going on? No, we did not. I mean, we were finding out through the show. Right. Basically what was happening. I mean, when they first snuck in through the kitchen for the Black Caucus, Kat and I were filming at a steakhouse at the W Hotel, and we start getting text messages from Jason. And he's like, Ted and I are at the Black Caucus show with Michaela and Tark, and they're sneaking in through the kitchen. We don't have tickets. So we were finding out like that. And then, you know, because we were being filmed at the W, it was like, there was so much of a ruckus taking place that we had to stop filming because the producers could not get our attention. We were like, no, this is a big deal. Like what's going on? And I think that was the first inclination that, wow, they're willing to do just about anything to be everywhere. And, you know, at the time our agency was working on a show for Burkina Faso mm -hmm. and, um, I knew and Paul came to that event and Mary and everybody came to the actual fashion show, but it was at Union Station, which is open. Right. And even though there were security and things that were roped off, I was so nervous because I did not have a good relationship with them at that point. You know, the thing is that, you know, just to take, just to reel it back for a moment, Steve, mm -hmm. when I was negotiating my contracts, and I found out that Michaela and Tark were part of the show. I said, I authentically cannot be on their property or at their parties because everyone that knows me knows that I had a bad run with them prior to the show, which was them booking my models for the evening before the big polo matches. And then they didn't pay the models and it just became a, a legal dispute. And I knew that, you know, Tark was really full of himself. And I felt like much of what he did was dragging Michaela through the mud. And she was doing her best to have, you know, hang her head high or whatever. But what ended up happening was because I wasn't filming with them, and they knew it, all the producers knew, they said to me, well, what if they're at an event like Paul's birthday party. Like, are you not going to go? And I was like, hell no, of course I'm going to Paul's birthday party. Like, he's like one of my best friends. I love him to death. Like, I'm not letting them keep me from being my authentic self, but I'm not going on to their property. So I think that because they filmed the polo stuff and then they filmed the, the birthday, it was like just the sequence of how it was all unfolding you could see that there was, you know, that we weren't having a love relationship, you know, there right. was no love loss there. And, right. you know, but yet I knew Michaela for such a long time prior to the show. 
I was genuinely concerned about her well-being. And that's where you see the interaction of Paul and I at the Washingtonian Style Setter Party. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it just, it, it, we knew who they were. Everybody knew who they were. Like Mary mentioned earlier, we knew they were con artists. They weren't paying their bills. And I just, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't act like there was nothing wrong. So I feel like it, it just, it became, there was like rivalries and like Paul looked like he was in the middle and he had Michaela and he had me and he was all over there. <laughs> what? But, you know, yeah. what are y'all like, talking about? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when that happened, that spoke volumes about how risky they were willing to be and put our show at a possible risk. And, and I think we just started protecting ourselves at that point. And that's why I went to security at the Burkina Faso mm-hmm. fashion show and said, here's what they here's look the like. Picture. Don't let them in. <laughs> like, I, I, and, and two days later, they broke into the White House. So they didn't even, their audition tape, they didn't even use their house, right? They don't, they no. didn't own that house. And I remember they showed at the reunion, like, she's walking through saying, oh, ignore the pictures if they're trying to hide, like, the fact that there's probably random pictures of other people, you know, up in the house. How were they able to get into all of these places? Well, let me, let me mention this, because what was so interesting, I, I considered her a friend, but mm-hmm. I had never seen their house. They used to come over to my place. Right. Um, I didn't know exactly where they lived. I knew that they lived somewhere and, you know, down there, Virginia. Yeah. <laughs> she used to tell me, oh, the place is being rented. Like she had a great story for all of it. And, oh, and yeah. she used to, she used to tell me like, you know, things are great. Oh, he bought me an Aston Martin. I got three new Range Rovers. I'm like, damn girl, you are doing it. In this economy, you got three new Range Rovers. <laughs> You know, so it wasn't like she felt, you know, sometimes you tell your good friends, now, now look, let me tell yeah. you the real deal. I know Here's what the real, people yeah. think that this is, but let me tell you like I would tell Linda. Right. <laughs> <laughs> or Mary, even. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, like, now listen, here's what we're going to say when they come over here. She didn't have that where she felt like she could share and be her most authentic self. So it was like, we were all trying to figure it out. But she just told me she got three new Range Rovers and her house is being renovated. And I saw this house on TV and I thought, maybe that's the house. Until they fell out with those people. And that's how we ended up finding out that, well, that's how I ended up finding out that that wasn't actually their house. If you really read their history, yeah. they, they had like a, you know, they, they would go, I mean, for their wedding alone, I think they had like, I don't know, 10 different florists that were small businesses and didn't pay any of them. You know, it's like, it's heartbreaking to see people fake it. It's just, it's heartbreaking when it affects other people's lives and other people's businesses. So um, I don't know how they got away with it for so long and why on earth they would do a national TV show do you I think, think she was rolling the dice on trying to save it all. That's what I okay. think. I think she was like, now listen, this is they about to take everything. So here we go. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to be a housewife. You play this part, and we're going to get this thing back, yeah. you know, up where it should be. We're going to sell wine to the public. We're going to make the, something. I think she was trying. I do think she was trying to save it all, and then it all just fell apart. I was going to say, do you feel she 
he was the one that behind all of the, I guess, the shadiness and she kind of was standing by her man kind of deal? Or do you think it was like a partnership? Like, okay. I know Linda doesn't. <laughs> I don't think she Well, does. no, I mean, you know how much, I mean, I genuinely love Michaela, but mm. what I encountered with Tark when he came into her life, I mean, it was, it was so abrupt. And um, it's like he took her cell phone away. She was living in the country and she'd say, um, oh, you have to call his secretary. Like there was all these controlling things. So I knew that she was under some spell with this man. And I feel, I do agree with you, Paul, that I think that she really genuinely felt like this was her last, this was her last card in the deck. I need to know more about Mikkel being a Redskins cheerleader. You have to have guts <laughs> to show up to a practice and try and do a routine you've never seen or done before and think that none of this was going to be outed. Like, that was one of my favorite scenes because of how funny it was, but also literally the balls to do that on national television. I'm a former Washington Redskins cheerleader for the NFL. I did the cheering through the 80s, and we've been getting ready for a great halftime show for the Redskins' first home game, and love our Redskins. Go Redskins! I've got a routine I'm going to do later. Yeah, sounds good to me. We're going to give you a little routine. I loved cheering on the sidelines for my favorite team. And now I'm cheering at a winery and I'm meeting world leaders and I'm building an empire with my husband. Bring it on. I can't wait to see you. <laughs> Is anyone watching the routine? Seriously. Five, six, seven, eight. So back to the front. Head is down, palms are down. Whatever you need to do. And then pose. I love getting together with the girls. I feel like I'm 20 again. For a minute, you think, okay, I'm still cute. I can do it. Can I do the splits? Yeah, I can. It, it actually made everything even more entertaining. What it did for us, I think, because we had no idea this was going on. We were not involved with her at all. So all we would get would be when the, season, when the episode would air. And we were looking at each other like, what the heck? I try to put myself in her shoes. Yeah. That's just what I do. I try to like reason with whatever is happening. There is no reason with that. Um, I just think that it was, I think they were stretching with her to have anything that was interesting. The fact that she tried to say that she was a lobbyist, but then like, <laughs> literally, I don't think she knew what a lobbyist did. And then bridging the gap between America and India. I'm glad that they did that for us. Well, one of my favorite moments with her, just personally, was uh, when the, tur the Turners and the Salahis were in the vineyard. Oh, the sugar leaf. Yes, the Sugarleaf Vineyard, where the Turners invited them to come see their yes, pour the wine country right next to their old busted up winery, and she has some jibber jabbish that is like, well, you know, it's Obama. Uh, oh. like when they ask about Obama fumbling badly and makes absolutely no sense. <laughs>
So what do you guys think about Obama? I'm really excited about his position on the two-state solution, to be quite honest, and, you know, with Israel and Palestine. You can't be in D.C. and not be involved in politics. That's just what we do in Washington. I think he's all about bringing us all together yeah. and, uh, and letting go of, and there will be those mindsets, and that's what makes up the world, and, you know, we're all different. What? I don't really see either way if he was Republican or Democrat, but he has a grace about him that when people do do that, it's okay, you know, let's talk about it. And he tries to pull everybody together, yeah. uh, the red and the blue, and make it red, white, and blue. Mikkel just kind of smiles, talks, and tries to look cute. <laughs> and then like, another favorite. And so the second thing is price range. Yeah, that's the biggest thing about us. It could be the 100,000 home, or it could be the $12 million home. We've got to get a range. we got to get a range. we got to yeah. gotta get a range. Um, we could either have the $100,000 home or the $12 million home. What? <laughs> I would say one of the funniest things that I remember, we were laughing so hard about the whole thing. And oh, yeah. a lot of it is not captured. Like, they didn't get a lot of our humor mm. on camera. The polo lesson day where y'all showed up and she's in her like get up and everything that was so funny like them sitting on the like on the grounds just waiting for you guys to pull up was so funny and then when we finished the whole thing and having her on a horse she's oh, never yeah. never ridden before and that horse that horse was not theirs by the way Spark, not surprised not theirs but um, when we were all finished, how Tark brought out champagne and it was beer. He brought out glasses that had bubbles in them and it was beer. No. You have Kat going, really? <laughs> You're gonna actually try to pull this off? That this is champagne, this is beer. Mary, has your stance on gay marriage evolved and do you consider yourself a gay advocate now? 1,000%. Okay. I had a conversation with my dad in the kitchen the other day that blew my own mind, actually. <laughs> <laughs> because he was asking me some very detailed, poignant questions about my thoughts, my beliefs, what I know about it, and my stand. And I just said, Dad, you know, I call myself a Christian. I call myself a believer mm -hmm. and my belief is we have a God that is way bigger than what we even imagine and I know that he's a God of love and everyone can love each other it doesn't matter it does not matter and I've learned that through um, just exploring in my own relationships with my friends because some of my best best friends in life are gay. And I've learned so much about their struggles, about um, their victories, and about how we're evolving just as a culture, um, and how it's none of our business, actually, what goes on. Everyone is allowed to be in a relationship with whomever they want. I got busted in a, in a vulnerable moment talking with David Catania in that meeting with Paul and Linda and Kat and the Turners and Erica about my feeling on the topic. And 
<laughs> I, I go back to this and I say, I have like a movie, a slow motion movie in my head of those words coming out of my mouth. Like, well, this doesn't really apply to me. And all of a sudden I was like, really back in. I want to take that back right now and not, that's not what I mean. That is not my heart. And it was just a naive off the cuff comment that came out. And I'm so grateful for our producers who, because I was very concerned about how that was going to be. I knew it was going to be used. Right. There's a question. Um, so I went to them and I said, I have major concerns about something really stupid that came out of my mouth in that meeting. And I'd like an opportunity to make it right. Mm-hmm. And so they listened and they gave me that opportunity, which if you think about it, probably in today's Real Housewives culture, that they probably, may not, they may say like, we'll see. <laughs> They probably fueled that for a little bit for some drama and turned me upside down a little bit and had me recover in some way. Our producers like immediately responded, set up, uh, you know, we were cooking for the Turners to come over and have the conversation about what transpired at the winery with Lolly and Rich was there and Lolly was helping me cook dinner and they were filming us and they encouraged me to address my comment to Lolly and just retract it and really set the record straight on where I felt, what I felt about the topic. And it was, it was one of the best gifts they could have given me because what it did for me is that, first of all, it taught me a lot organically about thinking about what's coming out of my mouth. <laughs> and also um, just an opportunity to, to have a voice about how I really feel. All right, Linda, I have a tough one for you. Do you still believe in reverse racism? What I learned is there is only racism. There is no reverse racism. But I think that, you know, racism is running rampant in our country and you know, so much more came out in this administration that I had like no clue. I mean, you know, it was lurking, but not to the degree of the white supremacy that we have today. Right. Um, but I feel that because I was singing with an all black band and I was traveling in the South because Candy Staten was from Alabama. And when we went through Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, um, I was definitely looked down upon because I was the, you know, it, mm-hmm. it just is something that I experienced at a very young age. And I felt like how hurtful and no one should ever have to feel less than because of their color, whatever color you may be. So mm-hmm. yes, I do still believe that there is racism and it is running rampant. It dawned on me when they aired our marathon. It dawned on me that there is a whole generation of fans that had no idea that our show even took place. So that's fascinating to me because what it's done is it's cropped up a whole new level of interest that actually of people that enjoyed the show. 
mm-hmm. and um, were pleasantly surprised to see and and go back, you know, like we did with watching it. Mm-hmm. And so we have this whole new exposure with a whole next generation of people that are mm-hmm. now in their 20s that were like 10, 12 that probably weren't allowed to watch that show. I mean, what the thing that I'm grateful about, the fact that we were just one season and what transpired did transpire, it kind of makes us iconic. There's a lot of there's a lot of unprecedented moments that also happened in our show, like the fourth wall was broken, where we have production on camera for the White House invitation. You know, so I'm I'm very proud of us. I'm very proud. So, you know, we got whenever there's a post about us and bring it back, bring it back. There's always people that are have something else to say that's not very favorable. And all I can say is we gave our, we gave ourselves to this. We put in the effort production, I think did a great job with what they were given and the circumstances were very tough and challenging. I think that we do have a place in history forever with this franchise that I think, you know, I'm very proud of. Thanks again to my very special guests, Mary Amons, Linda Erkalishan, and Paul Wharton. And y'all, I really can't recommend it enough. Go back and watch Real Housewives of DC. You are in for a treat. Thanks so much for listening. And don't forget to visit thedip.com where you can get commentary and analysis from writers, editors, and fans who are just as passionate about pop culture as you are. That's the dip with two Ps.com and follow them on Instagram at the dip. You can also follow me at Faces by Bravo where we can keep in touch until next time. And as always, but now we said it. <laughs>